0: This is a Voice in the Wilderness podcast channel. This is going to be Random Thoughts number 15. And it's going to be a departure from the usual content of both of my podcasts. It is genuinely going to be random thoughts. And not necessarily anything um, having to do with um, religion or Catholicism, just general, my random thoughts. Um, There will be some things that I will talk about that may be Catholic, but if you listen to this episode, you will see that these that that, that the things that I talk about are Catholic are actually Catholic themed media material, movies, books, what have you. I'm not gonna start with a prayer because um I just it's not necessary. It's just random thoughts. It's it's not anything to do with anyone's spiritual edification or anything like that. It's just me. Basically, what I do best is ramble. Now, I want to get out of the way because this is going to be necessary. Um... I record my podcasts off a phone. I do not have a console computer. And I do everything off my phone. And the RSS feed curator works off a computer. I have to access it via a... Oh. Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? um browser and for whatever reason I've been noticing generally you know my long-term listeners will know this most of my podcasts about 90% of them don't don't run over an hour downloading the ones that are under an hour are not an issue but the closer what I should say the the closer I get to an hour and a half, or if I go over to an hour and a half, there are issues downloading onto that curator. So for future episodes, I'm going to be forced to um, break it up into you know, into hour chunks. Make it a two-part. The, the, uh, the one on the Masons where I busted it up into two hours, that, that was not because of this reason. The reason I busted up the one on the Masons into two parts was because they were two separate topics that were kind of interrelated because they deal with the same You know, they they fall under the same category of masonry. Um, And another thing, too, that's going to be a change is... I try, insofar as I'm able, to use the saint's quote for the thumbnail... Um of the you know, of the topic that I'm dealing uh I'm sorry, hold on a second. I, I try to use a Saints quote that in general uh is kind of related to the topic of whatever episode I happen to, you know, be recording that day, but in certain instances. Um anybody who bothered uh I'm sorry anybody who visits my Pinterest feed will know I have tons of quotes from the saints and from the church fathers, but even with all those quotes, I can't necessarily find you know all. Um, the proper quote to use for a thumbnail of a particular topic. So I think in the future, what I'm going to do is I'm going to... um, If if I can't find a particular saint's quote for the thumbnail, I'm just going to put in an image. Because... It, it has also come to my attention and I gotta thank my friend for this. Um, he explained to me what his situation is but apparently the way he's accessing these episodes, whatever whatever app he's using does not give him the thumbnails anyway. Now if your situation is that way too, Whatever, Whatever's on the thumbnail isn't going to matter anyway. But for the future, if I can't find a saint's quote, I'm just going to use a image. So I try to keep myself, because this is not my podcast. I'm doing it for our Lord and his blessed mother. I I try to keep, I I use personal examples from my life if I need to make a point. But for the most part, I try to keep myself um, as relatively in the background as I can. I was separated from my family at birth. And in my 30s, I got to meet my family. Um, and on my mother's side of the family, I found out that, that there is an artistic, an artistic, For lack of a better term, because this is just a random thought, I'm just going to say streak that runs through my mother's side of the family. Um, I want to say my mother's grandmother. Yeah, it was my mother's grandmother was actually... Kind of famous in the area where she was at for her paintings. Um, she she was so famous she she made her living by selling her paintings. And my grandmother actually had a copy of one of my uh, great grandmother's paintings in her house. And the technical, no, I don't want to say technical. She did landscapes of the local area. We're from the upper Midwest. So she, she did, you know, I don't claim to be a art critic. I don't claim to, to know much about art. But I will say that my great grandmother's landscapes were very, for me, they were very aesthetically Pleasing my mother herself once again you got to remember who you're talking to you're talking to a high school grad i've heard with genetics a certain a certain talent or trait will skip a generation so apparently some of my grandmothers i'm sorry my great grandmothers artistic talents skipped my grandmother and hit my mom because when i found out about my family um one of my sisters had a, a few copies of my mother's sketches and they were just i mean they they were nothing you know uh nothing special in the sense that I don't know. Um but and at this at, at the time when my sister showed me these sketches um my my own interest in in art was not where it is now because this was back in my late 20s. And, uh, but I could tell my mom, my mom could, she, 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 she had talent. She had talent. Unfortunately, given her circumstances, she was unable to develop the talent. But, Sometimes in my more reflective moments. I realized that. Let me go back just a little bit. When I was a little kid. Occasionally on rare occasions. I could put out a halfway decent sketch. But because of my own circumstances. I was never able to develop this latent talent. And a talent is like anything else. If you do not develop it, it lies, it, it wastes away. Um, I can't draw to save my life now. However, over the past year, I have noticed, well. Especially in the past year, but I've noticed over the years, and I think that a lot of this has to do with um, natural maturity, that I might not be able to draw or paint or sculpt or any of the physical arts, but I definitely have a aesthetic. I have an aesthetic and there is, the arts for me tend to be more along the line of movies and books. Or, you know, if, if, if I want to be a pretentious little jackwad, I could call myself a, uh, a literary type. Although, like I said, and this is this is just a joke for my foreign listeners, um, because it is pretentious. But I got to a certain point, I want to say in my late 20s, where before my late 20s, I was kind of just reading popular novels. I was reading popular novels, thrillers um military novels um just whatever whatever topic happened to be of interest whenever I went to the library I would get a popular novel and read it um and then because we're talking over 30 years ago I forget how the genesis began, but I decided I wanted to try to read some some classical literature. Now, when I was in middle school, I had read authors like uh, um, Mark Twain, um, Poe. But for the more pretentious types, those guys are considered, you know, middle brow. And from a certain perspective, yeah, they're kind of middle-brow when you compare them to the other writers of the age, like Dickens, Hawthorne, um, Dickens for the English Hawthorne, Nathaniel Hawthorne for the Americans, um, Herman Melville of the Moby Dick uh, novel, But I tried, I tried reading um, Hemingway. Now, I was really prejudiced against Hemingway because when I was in middle school, they made us read The Old Man in the Sea and I absolutely hated it. It was the most boring book I've ever read fast forward to my late 20s and I decided, well, okay, that's that's one book. And I'd had I've done enough reading that I realized that um you know, every author lays an egg. So I tried reading A Farewell to Arms and um, a couple of others, but and I, it was just like I hated it. I, I I hated it. They were boring. Now, at the time, and we're talking uh, the early '90s, I had heard about a uh, American of Portuguese Portuguese descent named John das Passos. His last name, this spell, I believe this is the spelling, D-O-S-P-O-S-S-E. There may be an S on the end of that too, but he was a contemporary Hemingway's. Now, whereas Hemingway got famous in the 20s, made his boodle and moved to Cuba, where he eventually killed himself. Das Passos, the, the, the literary types of the 20s, not, obviously not all of them, but some of them, if they were American, had fought in the American army in World War I. Das Passos had fought in World War One. And a lot of these guys took up the fashionable, what they call progressivism of the twenties. In other words, left wingism. And apparently, during the thirties, kind of like um oh what um what is that dude's name um. Sorry, I, I I needed to collect my thoughts. Um George Orwell. Like George Orwell, John Das Passos. And for for my English listeners out there, I'm well aware that George Orwell actuals name was um Eric Blair. Um But I got to go with George Orwell. Because a lot of people aren't are unaware of the facts at hand anyway, so like George Orwell, dos Passos turned conservative, and as soon as he started questioning the Stalinist regime in Russia, um for those of you who are internet savvy, you've heard about uh you know back in two thousand and eighteen of people being Yeeted off of public uh, public platforms because they're to the right of Mao Zedong. Same thing happened with John Dos Passos. So by the point I think he died in the 1950s. By the time he died in the 1950s, except for his fans, he was pretty well known unknown outside of college literary circles. John Das Passos, I enjoyed the heck out of him. I really did. I enjoyed the heck out of him. And while we're on the topic of George Orwell, there was a book written around actually, it was either around the time that 1984 was written, maybe slightly before, called The Darkness at Noon. I recommend this book to anyone who wants to understand the nature of a totalitarian regime and the people who serve it. To make a long, involved story short, The Darkness at Noon is about a... Vinly, thi- Vinly thinly veiled KGB officer who gets sent to Spain to advance the communist agenda in Spain, who gets arrested and gets taken back to Russia for execution. And it's kind of like 1984, it's an interplay between him. And his interrogator. The author's name is Arthur Kloster. He's a Hungarian. And that novel in particular is semi-autobiographical. He based some of the incidences in that novel about his experience when he was a communist, when he was a Hungarian communist. Like Das Passos, when he started writing against Stalinist communism in the mid-40s, he became uh, person non grata, or once again, for the younger types, yeeted off the literary scene because we don't dare, you know, criticize uh, Mr. Stalin. And just as a general note, If anyone's interested in any of the authors or um, any recommendations as to movies and books, I'm trying to foster on this this platform, I'm trying to foster audience interaction. Feel free to leave me an email at Listener Mailbag. If I see it, if you write it and it comes in my inbox, I will give you a reply. But in my early 30s, I started moving toward the actual classical authors such as the, uh the Russian novelist. To this day, I am still a fan of this author. And I also read Don Quixote. Now, when I read Don Quixote, I had I did not have the maturity or the cons uh, not the concept the understanding to understand. The complexity and the depth Because he was a Spanish Hold on a second I had to stop a minute And get a little background Don Quixote was written In the uh, the early 17th century By Miguel De Cervantes And I'm massacring the name I know Um, It's about a deluded peasant, or no, I'm sorry, he's not a peasant. He's he's a poor, and I mean literally poor noble with nothing to his name, and him and his servant, he he, he drags his servant. And he's deluded and he's, um, he thinks that he's a, a, a literal knight. He literally thinks he's literally a knight slaying dragons. And he's doing it for his lady. When I first read this novel, I didn't realize, you know, because I was a pagan, I knew nothing about Catholicism. The lady that is referenced in that novel is a thinly veiled allusion to our Blessed Mother. Now, that's the only one of his books I've read. I don't know if he's read any, or I'm sorry, if he's written anything else. But that was the one book, and I absolutely loved it. It was, I loved reading it, but. Basically, he, uh, I, I I, loved the book. And it gave me appreci- a greater appreciation for some of the classics. Now, this, the, this is a random thoughts, So this is not necessarily a literary coffee table where I'm talking about literary topics. I'm just talking about my artistic temperament. I've always been a fan of movies. Always. Now, as I've stated previously and... This this isn't going to turn into some, you know, discourse on religion. As I've stated previously, around, uh, I I just noticed the qualities of of, of movies started going downhill, and by the by. I want to say between 2008 and 2012, it was literally a waste of money going to a matinee at a, at a theater to watch a $8 movie. And in America, if you pay premium price, you're going to pay anywhere between $15 to $20, depending on where you're at, to see a new release in the theaters. But... I've always been a huge fan of movies. And one of the biggest mistakes that I had made. One of the biggest mistakes that I had made. When I started my first podcast platform. Was I did a couple of episodes. For that platform where I talked about my favorite sci-fi and my favorite war movies. To my knowledge, those are the two listen to episodes of those podcasts, and quite frankly, I'm I'm happy about that, honestly, because both of those were horrible. Both those episodes were horrible, and um, I'd really, I really hadn't done anything to. It just, as far as the quality went, they they, they weren't worth my time and my effort. Now, my taste in most things, uh, most things artistic, I should say. I don't care if it's movies or music. Um, tend to be eclectic. Eclectic is a 10 cent word for varied. When it comes to music, um, I have a wide variety of what I listen to and what I like. And I always, same thing with movies too. Um, With movies, it doesn't depend on the genre or any of that. I don't have a favorite genre. And, um, I don't have a favorite group. Um, there's an old expression in America. I don't know what, uh, I don't, I don't know much about art, but I know what I like. Now that's me in a nutshell, but I have a wide variety of tastes when it comes to music and movies. And and before I talk about that particular aspect, when I was going to high school, I was forced to take a class on Shakespeare. Now, I don't know. I guess people being people, it would depend on the person. To me, watching plays written... by a 16th century Englishman in archaic language that I did not understand about subjects that I had, um, some of the things I, uh, some of the, the plays, uh, I was kind of familiar with the topic, i.e. Julius Shakespeare, uh, Julius Shakespeare, I'm sorry, Julius Caesar, my bad, Julius Caesar, um, You know, I knew about, um, Henry V, and that's because at the time I went to high, well, no, I was shortly after I went to high school, but, um, Romeo and Juliet and all that, I, I was familiar with the topics, but as far as I was concerned, I wasn't interested. Now, it is the credit to my teacher that she didn't convert me into a Shakespeare guy, but she made it interesting enough that as I grew older, I always maintained my interest in Shakespeare plays. And on occasion, you know, if I if there was a particular play of his that I was kind of I kind of liked, I would go and watch it on video. Um Like I said, it depends on the person. but now, with the benefit of being more mature uh, physically and mentally, I realize it, you know, and, and she she what made her a good teacher, was that she liked Shakespeare. She really liked him. And when you do something that you like or care about, it tends, even if the person is unwilling to... It, it, <laughs> we, 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 we have a uh, expression in America called a captive audience. Just picture any classroom with like, uh, 15 to 50 bored teenagers who have to be there because it's a rule. <laughs> that's that's your captive audience. But if you care about something and you care about this subject, depending on the person it's going to rub off on them. I was that person. I realized she gave me a gift and I didn't even realize it. Because just like Miguel de Cervantes, Shakespeare is a very nuanced and a very deep writer. There is a reason why there are literal college professors who pull down six figures just studying, just studying guys like Shakespeare and Cervantes. There's another aspect about literary, uh, you know, uh, middle ages, well, any any type of literary figure. There's a whole thing I could get into about that, but that's not the purpose. This is kind of a ramble. Once again, questions, topics, anything listener mailbag the balls in your court guys but um i i have grown to uh, appreciate shakespeare more now that i'm older um now i'm not a shakespeare expert or any of that and honestly speaking this is i'm going to go kind of work my way back into movies um, I didn't have, honestly speaking, because in my younger days, I, I appreciated Shakespeare. I appreciated that the plays and whatnot, but I had been married. I had, you know, was working and I didn't have the time or the inclination to dive deeper into Shakespeare. And being the lazy modern that I am, I just pretty much stuck to movies because that was my favorite genre. Movies. Now, when I converted to Catholicism... In two thousand and five, I had, um, I had gotten into, or I, w- I was uh, a catechumen in the Vatican II sect. the The priests that I had outside of being a Vatican II, being under the heresies of Vatican II, he was a very, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, Conscientious. Thank you, Mother Mary and Lord Jesus. He was a very conscientious man. And in addition to be conscientious, he, he introduced me to some Catholic movies. Now, I'm going to put the titles in some of these movies. And by the way, I'm going to put, as, as far as the other authors and stuff, I'm, I'm going to put them in the show notes. If you're interested in perusing these... But, he introduced me, and in some of these movies, and we are talking almost 30 years ago, some of the movies that I'm going to list in my show notes are forgotten. They're literally forgotten. Outside of a small core audience. But... I just, I, I consider them to be classics. Other people might consider them cult classics. And, and that, for my foreign audience, when an American talks about a cult classic, what they're talking about in movies, well, any, any type of artistic media, is there's a small, dedicated, hardcore group of fans who absolutely adore the the creator of whatever media you're talking about could be movies, could be a playwright, could be a novelist, could be a um, playwright. It just it depends, or a musician. Um, Some of the movies I'm going to list, and I'm kicking up uh, almost to an hour, so I, I knew when I started this little ramble that I may have to bust this up. Some of the movies on this list were famous back in the 60s, the 50s, and the 40s given the fact that I'm an older Gen Xer, the older Gen Xers, because there wasn't a multiplicity of sources where you could consume old media, um, the material was harder to come by, some of it, and some of it, you couldn't help but hear about it because the older you know the boomers their parents and their parents parents their favorite movies and stuff and novels were all over the place so you there so in other words let's just say a guy who was born in the 30s is talking about a movie from the 1940s that he saw as a kid Let's just say it was Citizen Kane. The movie Citizen Kane by Orson Welles. I'm almost willing to bet that 98% of everybody under 40 has never heard of Orson Welles or Citizen Kane. Um, which, by the way, is considered one of the best, uh, the classic of America, American cinema I've noticed with the younger types, I don't know if I've mentioned this, when I was on Twitter back in 2018, some idiot on Twitter, and she was a millennial herself. I don't know if she, because the millennials, it depends on the person, but some of them really like to be ironic. Which makes me laugh because these morons, they don't know true irony. They really don't. They wouldn't know true irony if true irony walked up and kicked them in the nuts. They wouldn't know. Or in the case of a female, smacked them in the face. They wouldn't know. But she I'm assuming, given you know, and it's it's hard to tell context on social media to begin with. But let's just say or I'm sorry, I'm just going to go, my impression on the post was that she was posting this unironically. Because on her Twitter post she put, oh, I'm a millennial. If it didn't happen within the past, if it didn't happen in my lifetime, I don't want to know and I don't know. Meaning, anything that happened before this person's lifetime, she did not want to know, and she wasn't interested. And the reason I'm saying I got the impression that this is on un- unironic is that I, that that has literally been my experience with millennials. Now, people being people, I have met millennials who are historically, and when I say historically, I'm not talking in the wider general sense of knowing their history. I'm also talking about recent history, stuff that had actually happened before they died. And I think that's, a large portion, part of it's due to parenting and part of it is just due to the culture and society we live in. Um, but millennials and in my experience, millennials and Zoomers are abysmally ignorant of stuff that has happened within the past 50 years. And what a lot of people like to do is is they'll sit and argue like, well, when we were growing up you know because I I've, I've, I've got a friend who's obviously my age went to high school together and when I was talking about this with him he's like, well, you know ah uh, you know not not everybody's interested in history bro no everyone's says, and it's like dude. President Eisenhower was president in the 1950s. And unless you were totally checked out during class, most people our age had heard of Eisenhower. And you got to remember, well, not remember, but I went to high school in the 1980s. Even the most indifferent student like myself had heard of President Eisenhower. And I was trying to tell him that when I lived in this large Midwestern city back in the early 2000s, one of my coworkers, and I want to say this is around 2008, one of my coworkers had just graduated from high school. And I was... You know, I, I was asked, you know, he, cause I, I tried to be sociable and I was trying to get to know the kid and I was like, we were having a discussion. I'm like, have you ever heard of president Reagan? A 2008, we're talking a 20 year span between his presidency. And when I was talking to this young man, he's like, president who? And my buddy was trying to make this excuse of well, not every, you know he, his, his excuse was not everyone's heard of history. There's a difference between saying knowing who won the battle at Waterloo and for, for my younger types out there, Waterloo was the battle in the 1800s that defeated Napoleon and sent him into exile. There's a difference between that and knowing a president whose presidency ended within the last 20 years. There is a difference between that. Now I'm not a philosopher, I'm not a deep thinker. Anybody who's ever consumed my content will tell you that. But to me that 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 would be that would be like me have never heard of President Johnson. For those of you who don't know, uh President Johnson was uh, President Kennedy's vice president. When Kennedy got assassinated, Johnson uh, took over the presidency, got us into Vietnam and could not run for a second term because he was so wildly unpopular and hated that he, you know, re-election was not an option. But there's a lot, with younger types, there's a lot of historical ignorance. I mean a lot. And once again, it's not, you know, people are people, it depends on the individual. But society and culture, there's a reason I keep hammering this on my two podcasts platforms, they are purposely trying to dumb people down. They are purposely trying to break people down, and I've said this in the past, into being unaccepting, I'm sorry, uncritically accepting consumers, and they're trying to kill critical thinking. They're trying to kill um, divorcing your thought processes from your feelings. Now, I did promise I, I'm going to try not to make this a whole spiritual thing. But for all the based and right Uh, based in red-pilled right-wingers out there who make fun of the millennials and call them snowflakes, they are no better. They are no better than they are. They tend to allow their feelings and their emotions Maybe not as bad as the kids who are throwing literal temper tantrums in college campuses back in 2018, but to a lesser degree, they're still guilty of it, of the same thing that they're making fun of these kids for. Which brings me to another quick note, and I've made note of this, but bears repeating. A lot of the stuff that I'm talking about the, the criticisms and stuff that I do, I'm guilty of myself. I don't claim to be somebody special. I'm not. Life has taught me otherwise. If I had any delusions of grandeur about you know my station in life and who I am, life has knocked it out of me. I am well aware that I'm a literal nobody and will die a nobody. So, um, obviously the historically minded part of it doesn't apply to me. Although, honestly speaking, I'm sure that a historically minded person of say 100 years ago or 200 years ago would make me look like a total ignoramus because our Masonic masters have, have been doing this over the course of centuries. They've been making each in each generation progressively more ignorant and honestly speaking, more spiritually dead. Okay, so we're... I'm trying to make a a judgment call here. Well, if I need to do a second part, I'll do a second part. Which leads me to social media. There's the Catholic teaching that teaches a thing in and of itself is neutral, is neither good nor bad. Now, for your... I'll I'll take the two ends of the political spectrum. For the progressives out there, a weapon, a rifle, a pistol, or a knife or a shotgun in and of itself is not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. The knife can be used to cut meat. The knife can be used to open bags or letters. A pistol can be used for target practice. It can be used in the defense of of an innocent family or an innocent person. What makes the thing inherently good or evil is the person using the particular object. For you right-wingers out there, social media... Now I got to admit for right wingers and I'm not excusing myself from this either it's very easy to paint with a broad brush about how terrible social media is nowadays but we, when when we get tempted to to talk about the uh, when we call Facebook, Twitter a sewer, Pinterest, Tumblr, whatever, a sewer, or social media in general, or the internet for that matter. And I'm just going to keep this on a personal level. I tend to forget that it's populated by people. And that's the whole basis behind the Catholic, the, the uh, pre-Vatican II teaching, that an object in and of itself is is morally neutral. It depends on the person using it. And it's very easy to sometimes forget, especially, as my long-term listeners will attest to, when you try to use Twitter for a good purpose, and the people that are supposed to uh, agree with you, are treating you like you're a brainless dead, um a, a brain dead moron, and are mocking and berating you because they think that they're the smartest guys in the room. So it's very easy. Because, you know, I, I, I have my own shortcomings and, um, you know, when, when, when people, when, when, you know, I, I don't like being personally attacked any more than anyone else. okay and I fully own up to the fact despite despite how it may seem on occasion, I uh, I uh, fully recognize my shortcomings. let me back that up a bit. Maybe not fully recognize all my shortcomings and faults. But I am very well, I am fully well aware that I am a failed, flawed individual. And I try, once again, uh, if, if my long-term listeners were to say, well, it doesn't seem that way, I would have to agree with them that, yeah, on occasion, when I'm being particularly... Um, particularly um, harsh, that it does not seem like, you know, that, well, let's, let's call a spade a shovel, that I'm being a self-righteous a-hole... But, um, anyhow, but there was a concept, me and uh, and this friend of mine, when I was in my 20s, we talked about this concept one night when we were getting cracked. And I was telling him about a concept that I had read. And it was in a novel. It was in a novel that was written by one of my favorite novelists at that time who was a World War II vet. And he was talking about how this is going to be kind of rough because a lot of people have no military experience. So I'm going to try to give it some context. But he was talking about how one of the military units within a military, and I'm talking about an army, an army unit is a company. A company can have anywhere between 150 to 250 men or women or both. And he was talking about the concept about how a company, well, any military unit a company, squad, platoon, what have you, is generally going to... is generally going to have the character of its strongest personalities. Now, to make my context clear, it doesn't have... and this is when we were getting though I was trying to tell him because at the time he was tending bar. And at the time I was uh, Mr. Party Boy. And, you know, when, when I had a day off, I would go bar hop. But I was giving him context in how the town where we were living in was very small. But there there were about, oh, I don't know, maybe five or six bars within that little little town we were in. And I was telling him how each of those bars, and I was speaking from experience because I visited each of those bars, had its own tenor and tone depending, because every bar has its regulars. Every bar has its regulars. Depending on the size of the town, depending on the size of the bar, um, the regulars are the guys who set the tone within the particular bar. Now, in his particular bar, um, the regulars tended to be older guys and ladies, couples, and it was basically the type of bar that, um, because it was a small town, people would just go there to, to have a quiet conversation or to visit with friends where there was another type of bar that I used to go to where I, I, I wanted, where, where the crowd was younger the crowd was younger, it was loud, it was noisy, and it was a bunch of young 20-somethings just being drunk young 20-somethings in a small town. I hope that gives you the context. But social media is the same way. And this is the reason I brought up social media. Social media is the same way. Social media... I've never been on Facebook, so I don't want to hazard a commentary as to the nature of Facebook, or what I call a boomer book, because that's what I consider it to be. Um... But I can speak on Twitter, Pinterest, and Tumblr. Twitter, as far as its character goes, is truly eclectic. I'm sorry, I threw out a 10-cent word. It's truly varied. Those of you who swim in social media waters, I'm sure are familiar with the terms. Conservative Twitter... Progressive Twitter, black Twitter, Catholic Twitter, set of a Twitter, Protestant Twitter, porno Twitter. It is truly eclectic. And I think it was designed for that purpose to be ecle- eclectic. Pinterest, and I've been on Pinterest. Out of all my social media, I've been on Pinterest the longest. Pinterest, for my younger audience out there, I want to ask for your patience. In in the Gen X generation and the boomers middle-class women of a certain type, and by the way, even before Pinterest became a thing, because, you know, I've, I've, obviously I've dated boomer women, um, certain types of boomer and exer women, middle-class generally, like the uh, scrapbook, As a matter of fact, one of the foster mothers that I had when I was growing up taught me how to scrapbook. And back in the 70s, Al Gore hadn't invented the internet and Pinterest hadn't been invented either. You literally had to go to the store and buy what is known as a scrapbook. And a scrapbook, you could put pictures in there. You could take put cards or little mementos that could be pasted into these these books. They tended to be about the size of a uh, notebook, a spiral bound notebook, but. Because you're you're putting you know cards and stuff in them, they looked more like a binder than than a notebook. That's that's the word I was looking for, a binder. And you just you put your little mementos in there, and um, that's what Pinterest reminds me of. Because Pinterest does not. You can post images and videos and stuff, but that's it. There's no commentary. You're, you know, um, as a matter of fact, oh, and by the way, when I talk about these things, I'm talking about from the mobile app perspective. And that gets into a whole nother thing. Whereas every website, is geared toward the people with console computers, it is not geared toward their apps, their phone apps. The phone apps tend to be of lesser quality and very difficult if to operate if you're not fortunate enough to own a computer console, but um. Uh, every, every phone app that I use in one degree or another has its, its good parts and its bad parts. We'll talk about, uh, we'll say that much, but for the most part, they're geared toward console computers. Anyhow, but there's, there's very little commentary. Thank you, Mother Mary and Lord Jesus. The reason I was bringing this up is is because on the phone app, you can put notes on an image on Pinterest, but if the notes run long and you're trying to, to put the image on a what is known as a board on Pinterest, sometimes it can get, if you're not, extra careful, it can be a pain in the butt because there are certain buttons you have to press. And if the notes are like a paragraph, it's going to throw off the buttons that you need to hit. Now, these are relatively minor in the larger scheme of things. And I do realize that, but I'm just saying we all have our crosses we must bear. But it just, Pinterest is basically a Scrapbooking app for middle-aged women. Because by this time, my uh no 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 matter how these women try to turn back the clock and wear ridiculous clothing that they that might have made them look cute back in college, they're They're middle-aged women. Now, some of them are single. But a lot of them are either wives, mothers, or grandmothers. And before I finish my thoughts on the nature of Tumblr, um, there's still more to say, so I'm going to break this up into two parts. But I want to finish this particular part on the nature of Pinterest. I'm sorry, Tumblr. Tumblr, to those of you who've been in high school and for um, and familiar with the nature of clicks, are familiar, well, it depends on the size of your heart, uh, your high school. But, uh, and honestly speaking, I haven't been in high school for almost 40 years, maybe a little longer than that. But there's what is known, you know, you got your stoners, your jocks, your um, your normies, your preppies. Which is one of the reasons why I literally hate what I call the Excredible. And it is literally the Excredible movie known as The Breakfast Club by John Hughes. Because like the movie Platoon, it takes a concept and it paints... It takes the different aspects of cliques within a particular society or group and it turns them into a two-dimensional cardboard cutout of the worst generalities that you've ever seen, which if you're an artistic type and you're putting out like a novel or a movie, you don't want to do, at least in my humble opinion. Some people would say, well, John Hughes was a very successful director in the 1980s. Yeah, well, that may be so. That has, I think, more to do with the taste of modern day culture and society than it does with his merits as an artistic director. But we'll move on. In my humble opinion, Tumblr tends to be where the art crowd hangs out and depending on the person the art crowd tends to be um i'm just going to be honest because this is my podcast pretentious very 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 pretentious the 300 iq taker paste eater you know they've they've read a few books they they can tell uh they could tell certain renaissance painters from each other, and they think because they can do that, that, that makes them the smartest guy in the room. It doesn't, obviously, but hey, people are people. What are you going to do? And I think that's just an overall attitude if you want to get by in life, is people are people. Hey, what are you going to do? Anyhow, so that is my, um, That this is part one of my little ramble. Actually, not so ramble. I'm having to break it up into chunks. So, I hope that you enjoy this. Um, I hope this gives you a better idea of my mindset. Uh, We're almost kissing an hour 30. So, thank you for giving me your time. Thank you for your patience and your forbearance. And um, I pray for all of you. I'd like to see as many of you get to heaven as possible. Thank you for listening. Have a good day. God bless you. Stay tuned for part two. Bye-bye.